Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking. <laughs> Ain't a fucking. Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. Can we get straight now? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Next. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. It's the holiday season. Boobity, boobity, boop. Hello, everybody. It's your holiday edition of the Drummer's Weekly Sorry. John, just be glad I didn't bring my slapstick out. You know? Let's. I'm more concerned with what you brought me for a gift. Slapstick, man. No. Sorry, but I just, I'm sorry I just blew out everybody's ear on that. You know what? As us being the public service style show that we are, I'm going to give everybody the key to holiday happiness when it comes to having to play sleigh ride in your local orchestra. If Don't go out and buy a slapstick. What you need to do is what I did. Go out and get you a length of 1x4 at your local hardware store a hinge, like a cabinet hinge. 67 cents. Yes. And then two window handle sashes, those 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 handles that stand out, and then just screw those in, cut about a two or three foot length on each side of that uh, one by four, attach that hinge, and peel the paint off the walls with a thunderous slapstick. Remo Belly is rolling in his grave right now. You're welcome. Wait, was he LP? <laughs> You're not going to buy my forty nine ninety five slapstick, you cheap bastard. I, I would have to think that if if it was Remo, it would wouldn't be LP. It would be RB. Percussion. Who 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 did right. who did LP? Who was in charge of that? Company? I have no, oh Cohen. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 God, we should just re-roll this. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Remo was like, "What?" Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not talking about ambassador. You would necessarily think that the name Cohen would go together with Latin percussion, would you? This is further proof that I think the Nam show is highly overrated. <laughs> uh, Don't go there and bother people trying to sell things. You mean? Are you telling me that the kind of a good seasonal topic? Yeah, as it's coming, it's up. coming up in January. Are you telling me though that those nice reps and the the folks that are at each of those booths don't want to receive your demo tape and your tale of you playing with Janet Jackson versus selling fifteen thousand dollars worth of you know product? Of course, they want you to bother them. And on top of that, the only person that's playing with Janet Jackson right now is little John Roberts. Hello. We're on to you, you shysters. I'm telling you. How about that little John Roberts interview, man? Man, that was awesome. What a good guy, man. Just so I'm still buzzing on that one, man. That was a great experience. I'm telling you, man, he he is officially now a friend of the show. Or at least to us, he is. I like it. He may not think that of us, but we yeah. think that of him. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, what what a great guy, man! This guy, he came in and and just absolutely, he laid it down. He told us exactly about how these things came about, how he got the gig, how he kept the gig, more importantly, and then he tells us what he does, man, when he's uh, not out on the road with those guys. Yeah, you know? some good insight, man. Like sometimes we. Uh, assume this or that but you know a, a, 
a real serious touring road dog and a bunch of great insight, much appreciated. Yeah, he did a really good job also of talking about the the differences and and also the comparisons as as far as like some of the same things that happens when he goes between these different gigs, you know, and and basically how different things are now than they were when he first started with her back in the 90s, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very informative. So if you guys haven't heard that show yet, back it up a week and go back and listen to the little John Roberts interview. And and if you guys are just not familiar with him at all, I mean, he's he is a guy, man, that for those of us who are kind of in the know, you know who he is. But, I mean, he's, you know, he's not one of these guys that's out there like, you know, Vinnie Colaiuta or, or Steve Smith that, it, that just every single person knows. He's a little bit more behind the scenes. But let me tell you, this guy, his resume, certainly, it speaks for itself. No question. Yeah. So, guys, we'll we'll go ahead and, and get into our topic for the day. But before that, I'm going to – I'm not too proud to beg. I ain't too proud to beg, John. I wish this was a video cast right now. So TLC. Yeah, John, the way he's looking at me. TLC. Little John didn't play with TLC. No, I didn't say he did. I'm just. That's, I know. That's the yeah. iconic tune. Ain't you part of the bag, right? It. That's the original, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is too. Yeah. But I'm not too proud to beg that I want you folks who are listening to this show, and and we do have power listeners. We we see we we have the technology to see who you are, and we appreciate every one of you. But do us a favor. The next time you're on iTunes, give us a good review. Tell us how much you love us because I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Um, and I'm not trying to like overinflate our importance or, or, you know, give us too much of a pat on the back. But we're climbing up there in the ranks, John, of the drumming podcasts that are up there. We're getting up there. I can see what other people are doing as far as like their listeners and comparing them to ours. But the one thing that they got on us that we don't have is they've got a lot of reviews Mm -hmm. and it would really help us out a lot. If you would take just a couple of minutes, the next time you're inside of iTunes to go by our podcast page and just leave us a brief interview, just a sentence or so. And then five stars, por favor, cinco stars, por favor would be greatly appreciated. So, and we know you're out there because I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out to some new, some new countries and that that I know that are listening. We got Thailand this week. We got Norway. We got all kinds of different parts. There's several different. I guess it was it provinces in Australia. What is I don't it? Know. I'd like to hear a Viking groove. That'd be cool. All right. Nor- is it aggressive? Is it- Norwegians that you have been tasked by John to send us your favorite Viking groove. Let me hear it. Yeah. So we've got we've got listeners all over the world, and we mean that literally. Um, I, I'm pretty sure, as of right now, the only continent we do not have the proverbial push pin in is Antarctica. But we've got listeners. We've got a lot of listeners in Brazil, and we've got a lot of listeners in Argentina. We've got a bunch all over Europe. We've got them in Australia and now in Asia. We've got, we've got some new listeners in Japan also, John. I looked at awesome. that saw that the other day also. So, Kanishiwa. So, yeah. Is everybody awake now? <laughs> Confused. Yeah. So, uh, thanks, guys, for listening. As always, reach out to us. You can catch us at uh, our email address, drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. You can catch us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Drummers Weekly Groovecast, and Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash DW Groovecast. So our holiday topic of the year right now is something that we all have to do. We have to make money if we're going to pay for Christmas presents, don't we, John? Yes, we do. And something that virtually every musician does to, to make ends meet. And it and yeah, for the most part, this goes up the ladder from people just starting all the way up to, you know, high level gigging professionals. We have to have different revenue streams, basically, is what it is coming in. And and if you'll notice, most musicians, they do a lot of different things inside of the music business to make money. 
Now, we're not talking about being an Uber driver or, you know, being the seasonal help at your, you know, local Walmart. We're talking about trying to do some things that are that pay money that are inside of the music biz, so to speak. So, to start off with, the obvious uh, you know, streams or the obvious jobs is playing. You would also have teaching and then you would also have things like session work. So everybody always thinks of that as, well, you know, that's, that's how all musicians make money. Well, that's how some musicians make money. But there are some, some other ways that you can make money as well. And, John, you have carved out quite a little side gig for yourself, man, that's directly involving the music industry. And I have been a customer of yours. Tell us. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things that you do. Well, I uh, I have for the last twenty five years or so been really into the uh, vintage drum thing, and uh, the also just the you know buying and selling of used gear, yeah. and it has at times been very lucrative. Um, sometimes you know, right now is a tough time for that but over the the past 20 years especially since I've been in Atlanta I've had a really great run of buying and selling and um, the most important thing I'd probably share with you in that uh, approaching this stream of income is uh, man knowledge is power Mm -hmm. and when I say that I mean it's kind of like antiques or cars or anything else. You've got to know your product. You've got to know as much as you possibly can about, uh, you know, different manufacturers and time periods and what is considered good and what's not, what's trending, a huge part of it. We're fickle, man. Like things are hot. For a couple of years, and then they kind of go by the wayside. Something else comes on. Recognizing those trends, you know, be it big hi-hats or big bass drums or bebop kits or light hardware or rims mounts or not rims mounts, all of these things. The trends are amazing to, to watch. I'm fascinated by that, but it also becomes a big part of how you are able to turn profit. So um, that's been a big thing. And, you know, I also kind of got into some niche things. Like for quite a while, like I was known as 80s Gretsch guy, and I just was able to find them. They started coming to me. I had customers where I never, you never even knew I had 15 kits because they just come into my possession, and I'm, I know this guy wants this, bam. Sold without ever even seeing a light of day, you know, in the on the internet or in for sale forums or whatever. So that's that's been a, a big big thing that I've made a good deal of money at, and I'm very passionate about. So it's kind of a win win. You know, John. An important note on this is that you know you were saying that knowledge is power, right? When it comes to 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 knowing not only of course the trends but knowing the instrument itself. Yeah. Like for example, it, it and it and it benefits you from a playing standpoint also from this. One, you and I, but because we're both Gretsch guys, we know there's a huge difference between a 1975 Gretsch kit and a 1985 Gretsch kit, right? Like one's playable. <laughs> That is, but the I know the detractors will come out of the woodwork yeah. now. But sorry, man, if it's Baldwin era, yeah. Well, at least yeah, you can you can put drum heads on one, yeah. right? Yeah. How about yeah. that? So how about that? But but the other thing is this: is when you intimately know instruments from that standpoint, and you've had experience with those instruments, you can then, from a pure musicality standpoint, if you have those instruments, you can make informed choices when it comes to also playing them on gigs or on sessions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bogus information out there if you're going to get into this game, and you have to be really careful. You know, I'm like, 
if I learned anything, um, I would say, I mean, there's certainly people that are more knowledgeable than me. and There's no doubt about that. There's some really incredibly um, knowledgeable people about certain things, you know, they'll get into a certain period of a certain brand and they'll just be like, I'm, that's my thing. And, yeah. but, um, you have to be really careful about so much bogus information out there because you can get burned not only, not only as a buyer, but as a seller, if you don't really mm-hmm. know what's up. And you have to be careful of fakes and all this stuff. You know, not nearly as bad as guitars, but that kind of stuff, man. You've got to take the time to get to know it because don't get caught with your pants down. You know, selling some something you think is this or that. Um, your reputation will suffer by it. And more importantly, I think here here's the best advice I can give. As I get older and I have my hands on more and more vintage stuff and learn more and more about it, I just almost assume I don't know crap. Because there's one thing that is absolutely true, and that if you think you know everything about mid-60s Ludwig drum sets, there is something out there to prove you wrong, I promise you. Because this company was bending green wood and doing whatever they could to get things out the door after the Ringo on Ed Sullivan, you know, man. So yeah. these are things you need to be careful about if you're going to get into this game, and that's something that um, I can't encourage enough. Due diligence, man. Get to know your stuff. So, John, if you decide that you're going to try to do this, mm-hmm. how do you sell? I mean, obviously eBay is one way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot more options now. Facebook groups are, have been yeah awesome for me as of late. Craigslist. It's a little bit, it was better pre, you know, economy, uh, 2008 when things kind of went south. Um, it was a little better in that regard, but, um, reverb is another one, but there's some forums out there, but you know, in in my case, like having done it for a long time, sometimes, like I said, man, I can just bypass all that. I know someone who's way into this thing and I can, you know, just give them a call. Like, Hey man. I got this. You interested? So there's some, you know, benefits to the the long term relationships of certain people. Um, where if you look at the big picture too, I might put something on eBay, and they're going to take their ten to fifteen percent, depending on how you right. list it. Well, I might be able to just avoid that, pass it on the savings on to a long term customer. Like I got like the Gretsch thing, man. I got guys in Italy that almost get upset with me like man don't list anything until you call me and some of these guys will just be like paying me sight unseen yeah for things you know there's just four guys in italy that are complete grudge freaks that want to beat each other to the the purchase so i'm like i can just benefit from that right there you know what is it about the Italians and like vintage American drum gear? Because I I sold I, I think I told you this story, man. Back in the late nineties, I sold a very average Istanbul K to a guy in Italy, sight unseen, for an absurd amount of money. Mm-hmm. Well, there's apparently some guys over there with disposable income that really, especially in the jazz scene, like their jazz drummers over there, they want Man, yeah. I want a burgundy sparkle, 18, 12, 14, Art Blakey setup, and I want it right. Yeah. You know, yeah. okay, well, you know, it might take three years. I don't care. Find it. And I don't care what the price is. I got to have it. And so it's like, uh, you know, there's just some people out there like that. And God knows if I find it. I am quite happy. <laughs> I don't the, have to deal with anything, you know. The the, the Italian uh, parcel delivery service is dicey at best. A little though. sketchy. That's one thing. Yeah. Well, I actually have. There's some amazing scenarios with sending things to Italy. I always kind of bristle at the potential for it being a problem. But uh, there's this one guy. He works for a major corporation over there. They have a DHL account. 
This dude sends FedEx, sends me this brochure slash mm-hmm. uh, folder from his company and taped with that, you know that, uh, what's that white tape that's like not terribly adhesive? Is it like Teflon tape? It's like, you know, uh, I'm not sure what it, anyway. Yeah. There might be $1,500 in cash, American cash, in this folder. Yeah. Sent to me FedEx overnight or whatever it is. I get it. I have everything packed. I take it to DHL, give them this number for this shipping, yeah. Shipping, and they pull it up, and I don't even have to fill everything out, customs or anything. And it goes straight to him. It's like the most bizarre scenario you'd ever imagine. And he's legit as they come, man. Wow. It's incredible. So, like, what an amazing thing. You know, you think, he's lying. There's no way someone's sending $1,500 in cash. It's happened with this guy yeah. six or seven times. Well, that's crazy, man. Man, that's, that's some. That's good advice, man, that you're giving everybody. And just, just overall, man, it's it's a solid way to ex, to make extra money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as well. And, and some of that, too, like rental. Well, that's the next thing I was going to mention is, is you and I have both done a little bit of that because mm-hmm. we've got a little bit of desirable gear that, that folks would like to use. And, you know, if you do amass a little bit of gear, you know, throughout your time and people become aware of it that, Hey, this guy's got a good sound and Gretsch kit. This guy's got a great sound, you know, set of symbols or whatever, that type thing. There's the occasional time that a, a touring player that will come through that's depending on backline will end up either giving you a call or it could even be one of those things to where if you know somebody at a backline rental house that doesn't have the kit that you might own, they might end up calling you you know, as a third party right. to supply that gear. And then even on a lesser note, I'll tell you something that's happened to me, John, and I, and I think it's happened to you as well, is if you've ever been uh, on a gig where you were like a headlining uh, artist or whatever, and then somebody else that's opening up will actually play on your kit, sometimes, you know, they'll throw you an extra hundred bucks right. to use your kit. Yeah. And so that's, that's a, just another version of it as well. There's some cool perks to that too. Like I've, I've had some rentals where it was some either amazing drummers who I look up to and have always wanted to meet and I get to meet them because they're producers renting a kit from me that they're going to use or, you know, sometimes artists too, you know, like I've met some, I've met some really a nice list of people just in that rental Mode. I had a real good run back in the early 2000s where things were kind of still some budgets and all that. And it was a good time, man. Dealing with like session work primarily? Yeah. And it was like, I wasn't even playing on this stuff. It was just renting. I mean, drop off a kit. You know, you might tech it. A couple, yeah. two, three hundred bucks a day. It's just free money. Yeah. Kits would pay for themselves in like a three day session with some big wig producers like yeah man i like this yeah well that's aside from that you also mentioned the whole thing about teching Mm -hmm. as well and again to do a little call back to the john roberts interview that we did he mentioned that one of the perks of his high profile gigs like the stevie wonder and the janet jackson is he gets a tech to go Mm -hmm. with him on the road and naturally this tech is a drummer as well, right? I mean, it only makes sense. Oftentimes, they're really good players. Yeah, you know? really good players. So, don't like f- our Scott Meter was talking about his tech ended up subbing for Gad. <laughs> you know, Gad who's who? He's a guy. Uh, yeah, just some guy that plays gigs. Plays with Gad the Gigger, Jeff Taylor, or somebody like that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but yeah, most of those guys can really play. A lot of those, a lot of those touring crews end up playing them together, you know, and having bands when they're off the road that go right. out and play and pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I actually, uh, know a guy that 
he moved here from Nashville for a short period of time. And I guess it was just during a time where there were no tours. Um, and he was working at a local music store in the drum department. And uh, again, a, quite a good drummer and certainly knew the instrument for sure. And then suddenly the tours picked back up and he's back in Nashville and back on the road again. Mm -hmm. And he does quite well for himself. I know. Now, mind you, any tech gig that's really paying, you're not going to be doing that between your Friday and Saturday gigs. Yeah. You're going to be out on the road, and I I want to make it perfectly clear, and anyone who does it will absolutely agree, you earn your money. Yeah, some weird hours, man. You're working, Hard man. travel. It's, it's not a glory gig. But it's, uh, you know, the people I talk to, it's very rewarding because they, you know, are, are bringing a, a skill to someone who deserves it, you know, and that touring drummers and guys they look up to and they get to kind of be a part of that success, which is cool. Yeah, so, so really we've got, we got kind of two different sorts of tech type gigs we're talking about here yeah. we've got the the guy that can go out for a while and go out for six weeks to six months at a time in tech mm -hmm. versus also there is the possibility like you mentioned that if you're in town and gigging locally beat the bushes a little bit you never know there could be some uh studio type sessions where you know somebody would have you tech a kit yeah i think it was i think you know in my case it was just like, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, I did one where Josh Freeze played. And, you know, he was just flat out honest. He goes, man, I don't want to come in and be tripping on tuning and tweaking and this and that. And is this kit, you know, temperamental or is it not, you know? And so I get a list of what he preferred and brought it. And he was just beside himself, like oh, a well-tuned kit. And I don't have this last 90 minutes freaking out about, you know, this kid I don't know. And all it's just like it was taken care of. And, you know, so there's there's some uh, there's some scenarios like that that are pretty cool. And if you're capable of it, you know, you can go in and deliver. Now, granted, I had the hour and a half of stress, but hey. Better me than Josh, who's playing on the track. Yeah, and that I get to go lay down. Yeah, isn't it kind of funny that, that, that the stress on something like that, it, a lot of times it, it's a reflection on you of the kind of kit that you're going to actually provide. You know, yeah, or that's the, true. You know, that, that's, that's kind of an interesting... But even then, you know, man, you know, in your favorite snare drum, every once in a while you could put a new head on and it just, just kind of... Not as crisp and as yeah. responsive. And, uh, and that stuff is magnified when you're being paid. And you're just like, ah, oh, you know. I always hate it. When I did, when I played sessions regularly, I would actually hire someone. Mind you, not for any significant amount of money, but it was worth it for me to have that person go in and tweak things out. And then when I got there, I wasn't so stressed out. So I get it. And when there's a budget, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, man, I don't have to deal with all that. I'll get a focus on playing and hanging out and being cool. Well, speaking of hanging out and being cool. Well, yeah, I, I don't mind, Phil. It's, <laughs> it's my pleasure to give you the bragging rights one, of hanging out with me. One, Wait, sorry. Well, you know. I just had a moment of, anyway. Uh, you ever do any of any of that job of music director? You ever had that? Not really, no. Like, they, they, they're just they're just glad I came and knew the songs. They're not going to want any more responsibility put on my plate. Well, John, with said responsibility, often comes monetary reward. True, and that's the the next one that I wanted to bring up. Um, I do a little bit of that in my spare time, mm -hmm. and quite well, I might add. Well, thank you. Uh, music directing really means a lot of different things. Um, and speaking from experience, what it really is, is you are, you are sort of the curator for all things regarding the, the songs 
for a group. In other words, you're, you're responsible if you have to make charts or if you have to do charts. You have to do charts, distribute them to the band. You have, most of the time you're responsible for if you have to pick members for the band, you know, getting people for the group and then rehearsing them mm-hmm. and then making sure that, you know, they're bringing the correct musical vision for the situation that you've got at that time. And um, I've been fortunate enough to do that in a couple of different groups. I've been entrusted to do that. And uh, that is a good way to make a little bit of extra money. And if it is a union-style gig, you can actually make quite a bit of extra money doing that because, you know, in the uh, pay scale of all, uh, you know, different unions around the, the country, it's spelled out that sometimes you end up getting double basically of what everybody else gets, you know, and then if it's not a union style gig, it's something that you would negotiate ahead of time. And Mm -hmm. it's generally a a, a pretty good, pretty good little bump in pay just for the amount of responsibility that you got. But there is a good, good bit of responsibility involved. Right. You know, and then. And a skill set above and beyond. Yeah. As, as a drummer, you've got to have, you need to have some music theory knowledge knowledge of harmony melody so that you can create you know some charts and then be able to rehearse the band and then realize when something's not right Mm -hmm. you know and then you can speak somewhat intelligently you know to the other musicians right and get them on and people's skills in general too if if you're not good in that regard that that's going to make a tough job much tougher so Man, I am telling you, be, yeah, being able to to talk to other musicians and and vocalists about things that need to be changed or tweaked or they're just not, you know, it's just not working out. Ooh, that's the hard. That's where that's really where you earn your money. Yeah, I'll tell you, because uh, I mean we're generally a sensitive lot as it is, you know, and then having to tell somebody that you know they're not cutting it, you know, there's things they have to do. That's that's a tough, tough gig, man. Never fun. Yeah, but a good way to make some some extra money. John, I mentioned also just a second ago something about the music union. I have a humorous little story to tell you about the union and how I made some extra money. I've heard a number of... You've heard a few of these? No, 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 no. I've, I've heard <laughs> a number of humorous stories about the music union. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. But you have some more. Yeah, I do. Uh as as a bit of a goof, when I joined the local down here, they give you a choice of different instruments and or tasks that they will list your name in the music musicians union directory as available for hire for these different things. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I put myself down as like a hurdy-gurdy player and, you know, all kinds of other bizarre things like that. I don't own a hurdy-gurdy, by the way. I just thought it was fun. It's like... Ask Sting. He'll tell you what it is. It's like West Indian two-beat or something like that. What is that? You know Josh Freeze, man. Call him. Get a man, thing over to Sting. Him, and you man. Can, Sting will grind out a hurdy, mean hurdy-gurdy for you over the phone. Nah, I'm not going to give him the bragging rights of the fact that I called him either. Right. He's going to tell everybody. Then I'm going to be expected to call a bunch of other people. You showed him. No, man. I'm going to leave Josh alone. Oh, I meant Sting. Oh, Sting. Yeah. Touche. Horrible taste in drummers. I don't care about his opinion. Keep that under your hat. Oh, sorry. Yeah. God, it, I'm in it. I've been at this mic too long. <laughs> well, what I was going to say about the Musicians Union thing was I also listed myself as a music copyist and a music arranger. And lo and behold, I got a call for music copyist. And for those of you who don't know what that actually is, what a copyist is is someone, whether it be a composer or an arranger or or, or just somebody who doesn't have access uh, a lot of times to like a computer programming uh, or, or a computer program that that is a music notation software program. I, I had a, a lady who was an organist, a church organist that she was in charge of arranging church hymns and church songs for organ and a, a full choir. Mm-hmm. 
And she would bring to me at the house these octavo style charts that she had written out in hand with a pen, no less. She was of like Mozart style capabilities of being able to write this stuff out with almost no mistakes, right? And with a pen. With a pen, yeah. Which is, did I not chart out songs from my old band that I created the parts with a pen? I, I do it's it just, in chalk. That's how like, temporary like, it is. Uh, you know, you know cause, yeah. and I'm so anal about it too. Like two lines in, I make one little mistake. I'm like just crushing it and starting over. Man. I know. So oh. her Mozartian style dictation allowed her to, to do that, right? And so basically what I would do was I would have the mind-numbing task of taking page after page after page after page and putting these things, you know, into a notation program and spitting it out for her. And let me tell you, as you do get rewarded for the mind-numbing task that it is because you generally get paid per sheet of copying per style of copying that it is, like however many staves there are, you know, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you can... You can do quite well, man, you know, copying. So that's oh, that's man. another thing. I know, I know back in the day, like, there were L.A. guys cleaning up doing that. Copying, just copying parts. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, there were people that just were made a very comfortable living doing it. Not Probably not as much anymore, but nonetheless, man, it, it's a uh, yet another viable uh, stream of income. Yeah. I love it. And I think you get to the point now that that you would be the kind your kind of customer that you would have for that would be somebody who's just not comfortable with technology and with that mm-hmm. kind of notation software because most people who are comfortable with it now and you kind of know what you're doing you know with a computer you can knock that stuff out fairly quickly you know so again yeah you're right it's certainly not as prevalent as it used to be but at least that's something that is still viable even to this day you just have to find the right niche right you know for that. I just thought of something off the top of my head. Um, in in the band that I play with regularly, it does a lot of the corporate and wedding stuff. There are a couple guys in the band that do set up and then tear down and load out. And they make like an extra hundred bucks. And it's like, if you think about that, that's like, it's like a club gig. Yeah. You know, like, for just being around a couple more hours. So there's always look for opportunities like that too. You know, if you're not afraid of hard work, you know, the, the situation you're in, if it's a band leader and he's got a PA, well, maybe he's willing to right. pay you extra to do a little schlepping. So there's some, uh, that's something that just kind of popped in my head that I'm thinking like, man, you know, over the course of, if you're a pretty successful corporate band, that might be four or five thousand dollars a year. It absolutely could be. I've I've done that on occasion, man. There there'll be times, especially when, if if I'm out on the road, and it's something, it's one of the, I'm out there anyway. In other words, it's not like I'm going to be saving any time, mm-hmm. you know, by you know staying at home that extra hour, hour and a half. You know, if you're out on the road, sometimes it almost makes sense I, to I do that. Completely agree. I you typically know? am agreeable to to do that. You know, as wiped out as you are. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of, sometimes it's a matter of, uh, you're, you're going to be there until they're done tearing down anyway. Absolutely. Dive in, get out of there quicker. Yeah. And make a little extra money to go with it. Yeah. And you know, that's the perfect, uh, dovetail into another little job that I know a few people, uh, that they do. If you are part of a larger ensemble, especially like a, a big band or, um, like a, an orchestra, like a pops orchestra, or even a, a major symphony orchestra, you can get the gig as music librarian. And kind of what that entails is, it, it's again, it's a little bit of a clerical job. And really what you do is you're responsible for when the band leader wants certain charts for certain gigs or certain songs for certain gigs, you're in charge of going to the library, which is most of the time just a big filing cabinet, you know, and then you pull out all these different charts and you put them in the correct, you know, put them in the correct folders for mm-hmm. the, you know, tenor saxophone one, alto saxophone one, you know, drums, guitar, bass, you know, that kind of thing and do that. Uh, so that's that's another 
uh, viable way to make a little bit of money. I know that, that for some of the touring big bands, that's kind of a coveted position because most of those big bands don't make a lot of money anyway when they're on the road. Right, every and, little bit. Yeah, you can make an extra couple hundred bucks a week by, you know, doing a little bit of clerical work prior to and after the gig, you know, it's, it's certainly helpful. And, you know, you might miss getting cussed out on the bus. Band leaders don't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, that was in a movie. Yeah. I'm confused. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but and and to even update that music librarian job a little bit, something that, uh, that I do as part of one of my music, directorships that I do is I am also kind of the librarian for a lot of uh, online files, you know, like uh, PDF charts, uh, MP3s, you know, keep all that stuff together and distribute them when needed, you know, that type thing. So there's, there's even a different style of librarian uh, these days as well. It doesn't always have to be physical paper charts. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be MP3s, it can be uh, PDFs. It can be other things like that as well. So there's another aspect of it. Uh, John, something that I've done in the past and still do to this day is uh, I've done a little bit of writing as well. And I'm not talking about music writing. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like uh, writing for some magazines and, and trade journals. Like I've been published quite a few times in Modern Drummer and also in Percussive Notes for PAS. And uh, that is certainly, let me just say this, you're not going to back up the old Brinks truck doing that. But if you're a fellow that feels like you have to get something, you know, on paper, I, I, I occasionally have these, uh, we'll call them these moments of clarity, these fits of brilliance where I will just sit down behind the computer and just type something out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that worked and that's pretty good. You know, kind of like a well thought out, podcast not get off my back Chalden well, <laughs> I've been waiting for that moment of clarity where you kick me to the curb that's what I'm thinking about uh, but but <sighs> yeah I, I did that and to to tell you you know kind of how that whole thing works is is it's one of those things where it's it's true trial and error from the standpoint of like you sit down and you type something out and then you just what I did was I just straight up submitted it to magazine editor a he looks at it and he either goes oh that's great we want to do this and we'll give you an absurdly small amount of money for it you know and then what, you could, what is what is it the money like an article you got published in modern drama what'd you get paid um they generally will pay you kind of by the placement that it is in the magazine, right? Like, for example, if you do like a major interview, that right. is certainly going to pay more than if you do an instructional article in the back, which is right. what I did. The majority of the stuff that Jazz I... Jazz drummers workshop, that I kind did, of thing they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I've got a really interesting story about that where I actually got like a little double header thing and I got like a massive I got delivered to my house the old bucket full of pride that I'll tell you about that here in a few minutes but basically man the I believe when I first started doing those back in the early 90s maybe like 93 or 94 mm -hmm. I believe I was getting paid about 150 bucks that's not bad you know I thought it was going to be way less yeah yeah that's I'm pretty sure that's what it was now I haven't man I haven't had anything published from those guys in probably about 10 years or so. But but overall, I probably had 15, 16 things through those guys. But Very good. let me tell you where the real magic came. Oh, boy, we're getting off on a whole totally different tangent here on this. That's I was, what we do. Yeah, I was driving home on a gig one day, and the phone rings. And I pick it up. He goes, hey, is this Phil? I said, yeah, man, it's Phil. He goes, Steve Smith. And I didn't think anything. The wide receiver. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And and, and and I was just driving along and go, hey, man, what's going on? And I wasn't thinking that it was Steve Smith. I was thinking. Some guy I met at yeah. Guitar Center. Be or, or better yet, that it was somebody that was punking me. Right. Like you. you know? Not me, man. Come on. And so he goes, man, I just read your article in Modern Drummer. And it's freaking great. And I want to buy it from you. 
to put on my new DVD. And, and I literally, at that time, I stopped for a second. And I said, this is Steve Smith, Vital Information, Steve Smith. And he just kind of laughed, you know, at that. And he goes, yeah, 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 it's Steve, you know. And so I said, what, what article are, are you talking about, man? And he goes, it's the article you had published on uh, Feathering the Bass Drum. It was in like Jazz Drummer's Workshop. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's quite an honor, man, that, that you'd want to do that. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I was going to write something about it. And he, I remember him literally saying, I can't write anything that's any better than that. And I'm like, wow, well, well, thank you, man. And he goes, look, if you're cool with this, I talked to, to Bill Miller, RIP, great cat, man, that, mm -hmm. that, that was pretty much running Modern Drummer back in the day. He goes, I talked to Bill Miller, and he gave me your information and everything. And he said that you would probably be hip to letting me buy this from you. And I just kind of thought, buy it from me. I'll give it to you, dude, if you want to freaking put it on your DVD. I would say, yeah, yeah. Sonar kit. Yeah, yeah really, man, you know? we can work it out. Yeah. So, you know, basically what ended up happening was Modern Drummer paid me for the article. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and, and by the way, let me go ahead and say this. The way that it works when you write for a magazine, 95% of the time, unless you're a super high profile, well-established author, when they send you the check for however much, they then own the rights for it right? by you cashing the check. But Bill was so cool, man, that I spoke with him after that to thank him, of course, for, for turning me on to, to, to Steve or, or vice versa. And he was cool enough to say, man, we're just going to waive our rights on this, man. And you just, you know, you and Steve just do your thing. Work man. it out. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what happened, man. And sure enough, man, I sent Steve the... Um, like a just a word file i think it was man and we talked uh, another time or two on the phone you know as far as like you know he wanted to change a, a verbiage of a thing or two there that didn't affect the the intention of the article at all and uh and sure enough man it showed up if you if you go to his dvd which is uh that the really famous one that he did man it's called steve smith um the history of the u.s beat right uh it's on that dvd Cool. That yeah. was a big seller. It was huge, man. Yeah, that was a big one. So did you negotiate with journey money in mind or vital information money in mind? Vital information. What are you thinking? Man, I'm. I, let, let's rewind. I was in a transitional period. Rewind. I, don't, I can't take this. Yeah. I'm negotiating from here on out for your services and knowledge man, and articles I, i'm telling you man i i was willing to give it to the brother man dude i could have got you a ferrari Just, dang i don't even know if steve drives a ferrari man he could have yeah but anyway you, you don't know that's the thing i would at least find out we're coming for you steve Look we're, out, pal. We're gonna we're love gonna, you like a brother, but uh uh. We're somehow if you think about it also love him like a brother, I'm somehow related to him somewhere down the line. It's gotta be. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why I said that. Yeah. There has to you be You can milk that. Dude, uh, that that's gonna be on your website yeah. or on your Facebook page. Distant relative of Steve Smith. <laughs> it, I was destined to do this. Shared the bloodline with Steve Smith. I, I shared a stage with him. Did you, honestly? Well, I mean, I'm sure I played on the same stage as Steve Smith at some point. Absolutely. There it you just, go. We don't have to be on stage yeah. together. That, that, you got you to gotta work your hype, man. It's It's been a while since I talked to Steve, but if he's listening to this, I might be calling in a favor to you pretty soon, brother. So, <laughs> anyway. So, that that's another thing, man, that, that doing a little bit of writing from time to time. You know, now it's, let me say it's, it's absolutely not for everybody because let me tell you, it, it's, if, if you don't have something to say, man, don't, don't bother. Yeah. Right? There's a whole bunch of people out there rambling on about nonsense. Yeah. A lot and, of forced uh, writing. Man, I just, I just had a serendipity mm -hmm. kind of moment here. U.S. beat. Get out of here, man. It's all meant to be Steve, baby. We were onto something big. Uh, get Call out us. Here. Yeah. Call us. I could write an article about how to bury a beater in a <laughs> bass drum head for you. <laughs> John, you ever book any gigs? 
I have. Yeah. There you go. There's another be, one, huh? That, that definitely can be a, a, a lucrative little thing. For some people we know really personally, lucrative. it's been very lucrative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not really interested in that, much to the chagrin of my wife. But um, on occasion, man, oh, you can kind of pad your pad your pay, and and that's and it can be nice. Let me tell you, I do. I'm just going to say a moderate amount of it, not mm-hmm. a lot, but a moderate amount is enough. You know, I mean, because it's one of those things that that when you start dealing with clients or other booking agents that you're getting that stuff through, you will earn your booking fee. Yeah. You have to have a certain temperament to, to do that on a regular basis. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. You, you got, let me tell you, you got to be willing to play the fool. Yeah. You know, quite and a few times. And then in times. turn, hear an earful from the ungrateful bastard you hired. Ab- absolutely. It works both ways. Yeah, man. it does. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that you deal with, you know, a client, which sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're totally clueless and you got to hold their hand all the way through it. And you got to, you know, get some kind of trust from these clients that, Hey, I, you know, you hired me for a reason. I know better that you need us to do this this way than what you're wanting us to do. And then likewise, then, like you said before, you know, you've got to deal with other musicians, which, you know, you have to explain to them right up front, you know, look, this is what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And even that a lot of times doesn't work. You know what I mean? I mean, the people have unrealistic expectations from time to time, even after you've given them the scenario of what this, this job's about. So yeah. Booking, so you're not booking $750 gigs that you played 30 minutes for your friends. Come on, man. $750 total. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, being, being a, a booking agent slash contractor for these type things, man, it's, uh, you will earn your money. Yeah, definitely take heed in that, you know, for sure folks, because it is, it can be pretty taxing and mind numbingly frustrating from time to time. Man, and, and there's a whole host of paperwork that comes with that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting that, you know, when you first start thinking about it, you think, well, you know, it's, you're going to make some phone calls and you're going to touch base with some people. But I mean, if you don't have contracts, you know, and if you don't have writers and if you don't have things spelled out, and even sometimes when you do have things it spelled out, right, it'll still blow up on you. Yeah. And so, you know, Everything from these contracts to writers to writing checks to sometimes having to buy insurance, you know, for different things, for Mm -hmm. different events like that. You will know where that money's coming from. In other words, the money that you get for doing this, because a lot of times when I book a gig, the work, the gig itself is the easy part. It's what happens prior to that. Oh, yeah. You know? Talking about the hand holding, you know, like oh, multiple gosh. visits to yeah, talk about this and that. You know, it's important, you know, you, you only have to have a bad thing happen once to where, you know, then you go overboard afterwards to making sure that whenever you book a gig and you're at this venue and they go, Yeah, you guys are on the third floor. Well, we have to make sure there's an elevator in there. You know what I mean? Just it schlepping gear up three flights of stairs, man. You only have to do that one time until you start you know, figuring out some of these things, these clauses that need to go into contracts, you know, things also like, you know, you only have to do a couple gigs in a downtown metropolitan area and not get parking covered when all of a sudden, you know, you got six members and all of a sudden your parking is $225 for those six players, you know? So you have to figure, you know, some of these things yeah. out from time to time. And you got to know it. Just be, don't spring that on you boys. There you go. I mean, three flights of stairs and, $25 parking, man. Work it out. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. That's, this is making my teeth grind. I, the idea of booking gigs. It's the holiday hey, season. Hey. Oh, oh, I'm so happy now. Yeah. So, if I had some sugar cookies, I'd probably get over this. Oh, the wife mood. made bunt cake over there, man. Oh, I know. But, but I got to save it for the kids. Yeah. They deserve a Christmas, too. Exactly. Well, guys, we hope we uh, gave you some ideas on how to make a little money 
you know? There's a whole bunch more, but those are some really uh, obtainable yeah, and, you know, definitely uh, realistic things to focus on. Yeah. And like I said, it's the kind of thing that, that I think that between John and I, we've done pretty much all of them. So mm-hmm. we know, you know, that, that they're viable. So, you know, start beating the bushes a little bit. And if any of those resonated to you, see what happens. Worst thing could happen, you do it one time and you're like, man, I'm never booking another gig in my life. It's good to know, though. Yeah, it is. So, well, John, we decided today to finish up the show, we would pick another one of our underrated drummers for the week. Been a while. Exciting. It's, it's been a while, man. We have, we've we had a lot of stuff happen over the last few weeks, and, and it's all good stuff, and we just haven't had time to do it. But right. we got a couple of good ones today. You want to go first? I don't mind. My uh, pick of the quarter... <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Now, my my my, uh, my guy this week is a gentleman that goes by Mean Willie Green. Excellent choice. New Orleans all-star on many levels. The Klezmer all-stars, no mm-hmm. pun intended. Um, he's a longtime drummer for the Neville Brothers. And if you've ever seen them live, there ain't nothing better than that guy when he's on his game and it's grooving just power and finesse and vocabulary and groove like many new orleans drummers we know and love and and he's done you know he's the neville brothers has been his calling card and steady gig forever uh you know of course played on a million of the Neville Brothers solo project as well. Um, but he's also done some pretty nice gigs outside of that. Just off the top of my head. Well, no, I wrote him down. I'm lying. Uh, he, he did some stuff with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, Ry Cooter, who I love. John Hyatt, another guy I just can't get enough of. Daniel Lemois, who is a New Orleans fixture as well. Um, and some people I'm not that crazy about, like Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead, but bragging rights nonetheless. Yeah. Pretty big gig. Um, the four, aforementioned Klezmer All-Stars, which is a bunch of New Orleans guys who are just kind of giving this amazing, funky undertone to the Klezmer genre, and they have some kind of standing in honest ears a lot of times. A great live act if you ever had the chance. Um, who else? Edie Brickell he's been involved with. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and, and many other stuff. I mean, certainly a lot of, you know, under appreciated New Orleans recordings. Um, and he just, man, I, I cannot say enough about how incredibly amazing and greasy and musical and powerful and just talk about a guy who, walks on stage and just owns it and you know who the man is mean willie green is he's the guy how, how old is he now I, I i'm guessing 60-ish yeah i think i uh, you know maybe probably that's my guess yeah don't quote me on that but yeah he's been around and man he can just flat out bring it what a great player i just i try to I don't know if I can think of a New Orleans drummer that I don't find something worthy of praise in, man. There's definitely... They have a vibe, man. There's something in the water down there, man. Mm-hmm. I can think of one. Oh, our minds <laughs> are on the, we're on the same mind level, it, brother. It doesn't quite erase the hundreds of... Of drummers I love, but man, it can put a damper on things. But we'll leave that at that. Maybe it wasn't in his water. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of glad it, <laughs> it didn't work out. It's all good. Anyway. John, my choice for the day couldn't be any more polar opposite than yours. <laughs> Not. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if this guy ever played a straight groove. Well, I take that back. He did. He did play a straight groove on some stuff. For at least a bar. Yeah, for at least a bar at a time. Uh, and it'll make sense once I do the big reveal. Uh, my underappreciated drummer 
is the wonderfully eclectic Famadou Don Moye. Mm. Yeah, he is, um, he is popularized, or I should say you will probably, if you do know him or know anything about him, he was the drummer slash percussionist slash madman for the great art ensemble of Chicago. Um, a pretty much, we'll just call it like a, they were innovators in the free form uh, jazz music movement. Definitely. I think, you know, a lot of people point to Ornette and rightfully so, but yeah. they are they are definitely in the we're in the trenches of that. Of I'll say this of the I've got quite a few free jazz records and they dominate my collection. Then between them and like Albert Eiler, those mm-hmm. those are like my favorites. But uh yeah. Um there's one recording in particular that my old drum teacher turned me on to back in the the uh, late 80s, and it was a an ECM recording of the Art Ensemble of Chicago, and I think they did it in the late 70s. There was an album called Nice Guys, and if you, if you have an inkling to want to delve into the free jazz scene, make that your starting point. It is as high of a level as you will ever get you know, when it comes to listening to that style of music. There actually are a couple of, of songs on there where they where they do break into kind of spontaneous grooves and stuff, and he plays his tail off on those. He sounds great playing some some straight ahead jazz type stuff. But the majority of those of those records, when you listen to Art Ensemble of Chicago, man, it's all about textures and sonorities and and playing within the conceptual mind space of, you know, Taking non-traditional kinds of instruments, like you'll you'll hear Famadou Don Moye. He, of course, he plays drum set, but he plays all kinds of sound effects too. He plays all kinds of little children's toys and car horns and ratchets and all kinds of bizarre sounding bells and and whistles and all kinds of wind instruments and things like that. And he just does a brilliant job of of conceptualizing that kind of stuff and making music out of it. You know, give yourself a chance to kind of listen to what's going on and try to, you know, kind of let that music kind of wash over you. And, man, you will see the brilliance of this guy. He is a tremendously underrated drummer. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's Famadou Don Moye with the Ridiculously creative. Incredibly creative. And, I mean, if nothing else, uh, you know, check out some of the uh, album covers, man. They're dressed in, like, African garb with, like, face right. paint, you know, and they gave each they, each of those guys gave themselves uh, African names, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the Famadou part of Don Moye, you know. So that's my pick uh, this time around is Famadou Don Moye of the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And and he did record with, with a few other people. He, he's, he's still in Chicago to my... Understanding. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. He recorded some with Randy Weston, Don Pullen, uh, Cecil McBee, a few other people. Is but but the, again, again, the meat of his uh, recorded discography is with Art Ensemble of Chicago. Have you ever heard him play on anything like just kind of more traditional, straight ed sort of thing? Uh, not really. <coughs> yeah, yeah. But, but although there are, like I said, there are, there are a few times where on the Art Ensemble of Chicago stuff, they will break into it for 16 bars and then it's back to total freedom. Very thoughtful of them. Yeah. Just on the verge of going nuts and they'll give you a nice little groove. Merry Christmas, folks. Happy holidays. We're going to sign off for the year. John and I are talking about, we think we might put together a little best of for you guys. Don't hold us to that. No. You know. I mean, really, it's on Phil, so, (laughs) you know, I'm not promising nothing. Guys, we appreciate you. Thanks thanks for listening. Uh, We appreciate all of the nice comments that we get. We appreciate all the listening. Um, Again, if you would, take a few minutes, swing by uh, iTunes, leave us a review. It would certainly help us. you know be a little bit more visible to some of the folks that haven't heard us yet because essentially when you go to itunes and you leave reviews what it does is when you click on that little button that says related podcast the more reviews you got the more related you will be to these other podcasts so we have a lot of the same amount of listeners as some of these other podcasts but we just don't have the uh we just don't have the reviews so please when you get a few minutes just show us a little bit of love 
um, on iTunes. You can always reach out to us at our Gmail account, drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast, and then twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast. That's all I got, John. Hey, we got some great things planned for the new year. Yeah, we so, do. So uh, everybody keep it locked and loaded. We appreciate it and look forward to throwing more stuff at you. Stay in touch with us, folks. Like John said, we have got some major surprises coming for you in the new year. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Circus tent. Ha! Those were the days. Those were the days.